You are listening to Wait a Minute with Beth and Jessica, episode 52. I'm Jessica Pearson, certified life coach. And I'm Beth Barnett Babel, integrative nutrition therapist. Have you joined us inside foundations yet? Come learn how to eat normal. That means no more being on or off a diet and no more living in effort mode. Right now, we have about 30 amazing people inside the program, although it's not a group. There's no meetings to show up for. It is your personal journey, customized and on your own time. Connect directly with Beth and I and get personalized feedback on your nourishment journey. You might be wishing you ate better, felt better, or were nicer to yourself. We cover all of that and more. Go check it out and join today at pathnutrition.com backslash foundations. We keep our eyes peeled for things in the media or in real life that come from diet culture or that perpetuate diet culture in some way. These are often the subtle ways it creeps in, which is why we are shining a light on it and sharing it with you. So Jessica, we have a, you have a surprise for me today. (laughs) Well, I typed it in last night. I was looking at the notes and I thought, huh, I wonder if Beth has seen this. And I wrote, have you heard that cottage cheese is the new cauliflower? No. I read that this morning and I was like, oh, dear Lord. I then was like, okay, now I know that the full 80s and 90s is back. Not only is the fashion back and then like the music is starting to head back in that direction. But now that we've brought cottage cheese back, then it's for real. Like the 80s are back. We're here. There's only so many things that can rotate. And then I thought, well, what's next? Is Snackwell's going to come back? (laughs) Ooh, I bet they do. Oh, my gosh. Let's get some Snackwell's back. Those little chocolate ones. Yeah, those devil's food. Yeah. Yeah, let's get those back. Okay, so in what ways is – because I'm unaware of the situation with it. So what is it being disguised as? Well, people are putting it in pancakes or just stuffing vegetables with them. We're finding stuffing all the vegetables with them. Yeah, like you might take one of those baby bell peppers and just top it with some <laughs> cottage cheese and eat it as a high protein snack. People are, yeah, they're just putting it in everything, which I want to say, like, for the longest time, I always thought that lasagna had cottage cheese in it because oh, like you didn't know it was ricotta. Right. Because of 90s diet culture, my family made it with cottage cheese or like wherever Um, I ate it instead of ricotta it was just shredded fat-free cheese and cottage cheese so then when I had a lasagna and I was like wait where I was like it took me a while it might have even taken me till just now to realize like (laughs) not all lasagna has cottage cheese in it I did not know that this was a thing I was completely unaware but it makes so much more sense because I use this app because he has really good recipes called Fit Men Cook. And I his, love him. Yeah, so great because I'm like, oh, that looks so luxurious. And it took is like five ingredients. And so I use a lot of his recipes. And I saw a thing for lasagna roll-ups. only took me like a solid week and a half to get the ingredients and make it. But here and we're there. But one of them was ricotta cheese. and Or not, it was ricotta and cottage cheese. And I was like, all right, are we going to do this? We're going to trust him. We're going to trust him that this is going to be good. But then I went to go find the cottage cheese. And there were all these different cottage cheese brands. And I'm like, I don't remember there being 
fancy cottage cheese brands. So now it explains why, because now it's all fancy. It's a booming business. It's a it's hot a product. So yeah, it's business. like all over TikTok. Everybody's putting cottage cheese and whatever they can. Is it cottage, cottage cheese, cheese and fruit? Because that's what like my parents did. It was like cottage cheese and like a citrus. And there is nothing more gross to me than that combination. Yeah, we used to do like peaches, like canned peaches and cottage cheese at summer camp. I remember My stomach is literally turning. <laughs> I actually like cottage cheese. I was like, maybe I should get a different trend. I did try it, uh, one scoop, because I was like, can I say that I really still hate it when I'm pretty sure I haven't taken a bite of it in a solid decade or two? And I tried it and I was like, okay, it's not the worst, but it's certainly not ricotta. Well, no, they're very. I actually like cottage cheese more because it's like saltier. I don't know. Maybe the brainwashing got to me, but so, but people aren't trying to do cottage cheese what they have done to cauliflower, like make cauliflower be pizza and rice and all that other stuff, right? It's just like it's part of the high protein. We're getting protein with everything. Wave, yeah, what it is, yeah. I think so. There's, it's you know how we just turn cauliflower and everything. They're like, what can we put cottage cheese on? What can we turn it into? It's a question that has yet to be fully answered as it is still being explored on the internet so you will see probably a lot more posts with cottage cheese people are going to be asking us about cottage cheese and to be clear there's nothing wrong with cottage cheese it is like it is just it is higher protein it is dairy i wonder if it also went out because dairy kind of had a moment of being vilified by plant-based culture so i don't know but it's just a food if you like cottage cheese eat it if you don't like it you don't have to eat it just because somebody is telling you it's healthy for you I did have the presumption that cottage cheese was diet food, though. And so people would ask me about it. I'm like, if it doesn't feel like diet food to you then and you like it, by all means, please eat it. Like celery. If you aren't dicing it up as part of a soup or something like that, just eating celery, mm-hmm. I equate that with people being on diets. That's an interesting belief. I don't believe that about celery, but I know that it's very much a part of diet culture, food choice. And so that's how I felt about cottage cheese as well. It kind of just went into those, those food choices that you make when you're on a diet to be good. Yeah. I think somebody in the dairy farming industry was like, how can we improve sales? (laughs) We really got to get cottage cheese back on the shelves. So then my other thought I just had was, oh, when are we going to start seeing like all the nut-based cottage cheese products? Like, you know that's coming, right? Because it's okay, a dairy that makes product. My stomach turn. I don't even know what how that works. Because if you think about cottage cheese, it's curds and whey. Right. Like, that is a historic – what song is that? It's a – it's nursery a nursery rhyme. rhyme, yeah. Yeah, so it's like curds and whey. That's all cottage cheese is, and that's partially why it's higher in protein because it's got all that whey in there. But I don't know how you would make that from nuts. It sounds utterly disgusting. Well, I mean, Kite Hill makes all those really delicious, like, chive spreads. So is, are they going to come up with a cottage cheese lookalike? This is what I think is going to happen. I'm going to be looking out for it. We're right. moving on. We're moving on now. Today we have a guest, 
Berkeley Cox. She is a former overdraft queen turned personal financial expert. She is a music lover, a money coach. She's my money coach and just overall fabulous person. We invited her here because in my work, in her program, I really got to see this intersection of the human relationship between food and money. They overlap for a lot of people in so many different ways. So I thought we could talk about it. Hey, Berkeley. Yay. Hi. I just fell back in love with cottage cheese. I need to talk about this for a second. Um, at Target, there's this brand called Good. I've never seen Oh, it. yes. This is the fancy cottage cheese I purchased yes. for my lasagna roll-ups. And it is so legit. Like, it's not watery. It's thick. It's agree. delicious. It like, it watery. feels decadent. You can't buy the low-fat one. You have to buy, like, the regular one. It's right. like, I eat like half a thing of it and I'm like so full because it just feels so rich and delicious. I've recently, I've, I bought some this morning. I've fallen back in love with cottage What did cheese. you, um, what do you do with it? You just eat it I just eat plain? it. Yeah, raw, I just eat it plain. cottage cheese. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. Uh. I always used to like it with um, cantaloupe. I do. Yeah. I like the fruit cottage cheese. But yeah, I just eat it plain and it's like so, oh, you know what? I also like to eat it, I like to eat it with Triscuits. Like instead of like that's okay, I can like a laughing cow, you know, yeah. like a, it's like I I treat it like a soft cheese. Anyway, I'm, I can get down in. with that, but when you start adding fruit to that, um, those that combo is just like a hard no for me. <laughs> just like nothing about it. Like my just yeah, but yes, that brand. I will say when I opened it up, I was pleasantly surprised to not find it be like this watery, like the watery. Yeah. yeah. I like the individual ones. Cause the big tub of it grosses me out. So I was looking okay. for the small ones, and that's what Target had. Anyway, I know we're off on a, a deep. No, tangent, but that's but. that's the subliminal <laughs> messaging of the diet culture because it starts with you just on Instagram scrolling, and somebody has like the snack, and you're like, "Oh, that looks kind of good." And then before you know it, you're buying cottage cheese, and then it's like everywhere. And then before you know it, you're adding it to your muffins and your pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> I won't be doing that. That's where I draw the line. For me, it's just a snack, just oh a snack. So. There are a lot of fun things about you, but one of a zillion fun facts is that you were on Wheel of Fortune. I was. That was a, I was. It was a while it was ago. High, it was a highlight of my life, the highlight of my grandma's life. It was such a big moment, <laughs> and it aired on Christmas Eve. So like my your whole, whole family every, got to see it together, and like everyone I knew saw it together because it was like, oh, I'll watch this with my family for Christmas Eve. My friends on Wheel of Fortune. It was like, it was a thing, and you won. I won, well, I won one puzzle. You know the one at the end where they spin the wheel and every letter is worth the same amount for that whole yeah. puzzle? That's yeah. the one I won. So I won like I won like seven grand on that puzzle, which was pretty legit. But it was very stressful because the first two puzzles, I just blanked. Like they filmed mm. the show in 15 minutes. It's so fast. Oh, the whole show's filmed in 15 minutes. They film all the shows for the week in one day. If you don't like spin solve or buy a vowel within one second, like you're disqualified and they get mad at you and they move on. So that's why it's like, you know, when you're yelling at the people on TV and you're like, you idiot. Like it's, it's, it's because it's such high there. pressure. So Pat right. Sajak and Vanna are like, get like, with it. Yes. Yes. You can't pause. You can't think. So the first couple puzzles, I just like blanked. And then the last one I got with very few letters, it was like, it came to me in like a fever dream. Like I blacked out. Like I still, I watch it back and I'm like, how did you know that? Like it was crazy anyway. But yeah, 
won a bunch of money. Taxes took like half of it. I was going to say, how much was taxes yeah, on that? Taxes. Okay. I ended up going, I ended up taking home maybe like four grand ish, which was pretty legit for a 20, whatever I was, 24, Hell 25 yeah. year old or something. Yeah. And I did some fun stuff. I bought, I went to fish festival eight with some of the money. And then I spent the rest of it towards a down payment on a brand new car, which was one of the dumbest money decisions I've ever made in my entire Why? life. Why? <laughs> well, one, buying a brand new car is just one of the, like the dumbest things like anyone could ever. I, actually, you know, dumb is judgmental. It's not dumb. <laughs> it's not the most financially savvy, responsible thing one can do. Now, granted, times are weird right now with cars. Like you might... So I don't, this, I don't really, this doesn't apply to right now because even getting a used car is so expensive and you might be better off just getting a new one and getting exactly what you want, da, 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 da. But back then, not the smartest money move. And I ended up moving to New York. I was living in Austin. I moved to New York like two years later and I sold it and lost so much money. Cause I, you know, we all know the second you drive a car off a lot, it depreciates like some crazy mm-hmm. amount. So not the smartest use of my money, but I'm glad I got that new car thing out of my, like I had to do it once. (laughs) I like got the bug. I got the bug out of my life, but yeah. So it was a very, very exciting time. Those wheel of fortune. Thank you for sharing that. I was going to ask you what you did with the money because you're the money coach. And I feel like I can ask you that. I wasn't a money coach then. I was deep in debt then. (laughs) No, but it makes me think of just the overall conversation of how like we don't usually talk to each other about money. And that's part of what Mm. you're teaching is just our money beliefs and our money stories. And why is it so taboo to talk about money? And I just, I love that you are bringing this to the table of let's like be open about it and yeah. And y'all are doing something similar. There's a lot more conversation around food and nutrition and what we eat, but there's also, it still lives in that same shame world mm-hmm. of not wanting to be really, really open and honest about our thoughts and feelings and actions because of fear of judgment, fear of, oh, I'm not supposed to talk about that, whatever. So I just was listening to our podcast that actually went live yesterday, which was our child psychiatric nurse practitioner. And we were just Mm -hmm. talking about shame and she says something about being witnessed and being seen and how a lot of times it's so vulnerable to become witnessed and seen. But if you can Mm. get to that place where you can talk to somebody about what is bringing you shame or guilt, and then you can be seen and still realize that you are just also still a worthy human, even with this behavior, it's such a huge healing experience. So I feel like that's like, yeah, we're both doing that for our clients. Yeah. I remember when I first learned about the difference between shame and guilt and that guilt is I did something bad, but shame is I am bad. And how we have to think about those differently. I feel like we grow up dealing with, and we all deal with guilt a lot, but I think only as an adult did I realize what shame really was or felt like or how to deal with it and how really empathy is the only way out of shame because it's the only way in which you're feeling like I'm okay, I'm a good person, I'm not bad, I'm not horrible. And it's the only way to like get through it. But I don't think I had that realization in, until I got older and shame can be so woven into the fabric of our habits and behaviors that in like so many ways that we don't even realize. Yeah. And when we isolate in the shame, it doesn't break those patterns. So that's right. why it's nice to get support. Because then right, get out of right. So right. I came to you because I did recognize that I had a, a major scarcity mindset with money. And what made me really like tap into that was 
You know, when you play the when you win the lotto game, when you think like, yeah. what if I did buy a Powerball ticket? And what if I did win $100 million? I could literally talk myself into believing that $100 million was not going to sustain me in my life. <laughs> I could be like, well, after taxes, what? That's like 50 and then I'm going to be generous with it. And then obviously I'm going to need some to spend. And you think about what you're going to buy. And I go down this whole rabbit hole and then I would ask my husband like, well, what would you do with it? He's like, I would just give it all to like our financial guy and like my life would be the same. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? I mean, he was like, well, I don't know. I might get like a new car or a new computer or something. But he's like, for the most part, my life like wouldn't change at all. And I was like, okay. So I just kind of self-witnessed in that moment thinking like, Mm. if I can make $100 million sound like not enough money, it's not a money problem. It's a mind Mm. problem. Mm. (laughs) Interesting. That's so interesting. And we do that with food, with people with food too, or like sometimes it's really not about the food. It's not what you're eating or not eating. It's what you believe about it or the scarcity right. that's wrapped in that. So I don't know. I thought that was an interesting reason to get help with money, but can you tell us more about other people and what kind of problems you help them solve with money? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's really interesting. I work with people at all income levels and I hear from the lower earners, if I only had what the, you know, insert higher earner amount, if I only could make this much money, everything would be fine. And I'm going to be like, I'm working with someone that makes that much money and they're not fine. You know, now granted, yes, there is a level in which, okay, having a certain level of income will help your life feel more comfortable. Absolutely. But once you're kind of at that level and you're sort of anywhere within that, it all becomes irrelevant because it really is about your beliefs about money and frankly, like what you do with it. That scarcity mindset keeps people from feeling sustained and satisfied. And I really try to work with my clients to get to like a neutral place about money, that it's not like super exciting when you get more and it's not like super bummer if you have to spend it and you aren't saving as much. It just kind of is. And it's just kind of living in this place where it's not causing roller coaster emotions. Because if we can get to that place, we can get to a neutral place, then we're able to make more rational decisions that are based on a larger plan, based in reality and not based on our emotions. So I'm bad at going off on tangents to answer your question. Okay. Why do people come to me? All sorts of reasons. You know, a lot of times it's getting out of debt. It's feeling like I have a good job. I work really hard. I'm making money, but I'm not getting the most out of it. I work with a lot of people in their thirties and forties that reach this point where they're like, okay, I want to buy a house or I want to start a family or I just had my first child or whatever. And they're like, "Uh Oh, I need to start adulting crap. (laughs) Can Mm -hmm. I curse on this show? I'm trying not to curse. Okay. We just put the E on it and everything's fine. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm like, shit, I need to get my shit together. But yeah, there's usually some sort of tipping point where I think people are either realizing like there's something that happened in my life that's causing me to need to make this change, or I am just hitting a breaking point where I am so tired of feeling this way. I'm so tired of feeling stressed about money. I'm tired of feeling overwhelmed. And when they realize, hey, there's someone out there that can help them like me, that's not going to judge them, that's going to help show them exactly what to do and like help them solve this problem. It's like, yes, let's go. (laughs) As you were saying that, I was like checking in 
my money stories. I'm fine for the most part. Every once in a while, I freak out at home with like, you know, the finances between my husband and I at work, though, I do that thing that you described where I'm like, Ooh, not an, I, I, I'm on the roller coaster with the money that the business makes. And I don't know why, but I view them somehow very differently because one of them is a direct reflection of me. It feels like, right, <laughs> so right. I like internalize all this stuff and I'm like, Oh, and so I use it as a way to judge myself. Yeah, it's like, oh, we had a great month. We're amazing. And then it's like, ooh, not a great month. We must be terrible at our jobs. Right, <laughs> yeah, right. Like, well, it sounds we like, you know, wrong. Yeah. Sometimes when we'll do that, we'll be like, we have to completely change everything we've ever thought about and done in our whole business. New business model. It's like, oh, yeah. Ooh. And then the other person's like, no, everything's fine. Just like, it's fine. You know, when I hear that, I hear, do you feel like there's an underlying money belief of money equals success or like, oh, 100%. Right, right. (laughs) Absolutely. And like, what if you shifted that narrative and said, okay, happiness is a marker of success or, you know, you change those relationships for yourself and like rewrite that narrative and that's hard like mindset shifts are very (laughs) they're very difficult but they usually come from trying to add new evidence to whatever that belief is right so if like if happiness equals success then I'm reminding myself every time I'm feeling really balanced and happy in my business that yes this is what I'm trying to do and I'm feeling successful and trying to like untangle untether it from money but it's hard because these things are programmed in our brain since we were, you know, they say most of our values and beliefs around money have been formed by the time we're seven years old. So hmm. there's a lot to un- unwrite. <laughs> rewrite yeah, I can't there. even like think about like what I thought about money as a seven year old or what I knew about it at all. I'm like, Oh, wonder what that yeah. even was. Jessica, do you, can you even like Well, I just remember money being a dramatic topic. Like I remember my parents fighting about money and about Mm. spending. And so it did seem scarce to me, Mm. even though my dad was a doctor. So part of me was like, aren't we rich? I don't get it. (laughs) (laughs) Which is not great either. Like there was definitely some entitlement to work on. So yeah, I think it's just interesting because... I also remember my parents not really wanting to talk about it. It's considered like taboo, right? Like you don't ask people what kind of money they make. You don't ask people like how much their house costs or whatever. And now it's like, we can kind of look it all up. Like we all know anyway. (laughs) But yeah, it was such a taboo topic, I think back then. So it was just like, you don't learn anything about it and they don't teach anything about money in school, really. It's crazy. I remember learning how to balance a checkbook but it was all like faux money. It was just one aspect of learning how to add and subtract and just putting them right. in the right columns. But more other than that, like, no, there is no other information about what to do with it, the money, when you get it of your own kind. <laughs> right, right. And like both from a psychological and like tactical perspective, which, and I think the mindset habit behavior part is like 80-90% of the game. If you can have awareness around like why you're spending in the way that you do. And like with the money store, I had my clients go through an exercise of thinking about their parents or who was really in their life when it came to money and thinking about like, okay, how did they spend? Did they talk about money? Did they not talk about money? Like what happened when money came into the house or left the house and trying to like tell themselves some of those stories and like put themselves back like 
I always hear it was so exciting when grandma would take me shopping. I always hear that story. And that like when money was like presented to me through grandma, it was like to be spent, never to be saved. It was to be spent. I hear that story a lot. So yeah, like thinking about, okay, which parent maybe do I align more with? Like, why am I doing what I'm doing so that you have awareness so that when you can, when you do learn the tactical piece, you're not like hit with these walls of not being able to execute it. That kind of comes from maybe it's like scarcity or, you know, some of these like underlying beliefs around money that tend to be the real thing I see holding people back, which is really just interesting. Very interesting to like dig into people's brains (laughs) because we're all wired in such unique ways. Well, and the one thing about your program that is fun is that it is a group and so you actually do get to see other people's stories and that's part of that being witnessed right because you're like oh their story even if their story is not my story it's like oh like you just get some insight into understanding other people's brains around money and then you're like okay like I don't really have to feel shame because we're all kind of doing these weird things right totally one of the like big realizations I had that I only like started as I started this business being really honest about and I hear other people like react to it and say, Oh, I thought that too. But I thought it was kind of, I would have never said this out loud was I grew up always having this sort of like what I refer to as like magic money come into my life. Like, Oh, when I got to college, my, my granddad just kind of out of the blue ended up like paying for my college. And it was just like, poof, taken care of. And then like, when I got out of college and I wanted to move to New York for like this advertising job, I didn't have any money for it. I didn't like grow up with a lot of money, but these, these money would just appear. Like grandma came out of the blue and was like, I want to support you. You want to move to New York? And she lent me all this, lent me. I never had to pay her back, but like she gave me a loan to go get an apartment and move to New York. And it was just like, everything just kind of, kind of worked out or like the wheel of fortune thing. Like I, like I had some debt. I also, I used some of that money to pay off some debt. Like I had some credit card debt rack up and then I like got this wheel of fortune money and I was able to pay some of it off. Just this magic money kept coming up in my life. But what it did was it kept me from taking responsibility for my own actions and like having to budget and like figure this stuff out on my own. And I started to realize, oh, I can't rely on magic money and like getting this really high paying job or like marrying rich or like some, some future thing where I'm like, everything will be fine. I don't need to deal with this. And then I finally realized, Oh, like I I do need to deal with it. And that's kind of when my financial journey began. But when I shared that story with my group program, so many people were like, Oh, like, I think I have that magic money thing (laughs) where I've gotten lucky a few times. And it sort of taught my brain, like, I don't need to deal with this. Like it'll all sort itself out one day. And then it ends up kind of being days and days later. And you're like, oh, now I really need to take responsibility for this. So, so yeah, I think being honest about our own journeys and hearing that from other people, it does take away that shame and it does empower us to take ownership over our own stories and say like, no, I want to do something differently this time. Mm. I love magic money. (laughs) I love magic money too. It has happened to me as well have like all these stories about money but I love the magic money that's just like happened in my life oh yeah magic money is awesome but I tell my clients I'm like but now when magic money happens to you you can do something better with it like you can Mm -hmm. invest it or you can put it in your emergency fund or you can go on a trip you've been planning for and not use it to 
like cover up past mistakes, if you will. I don't like using the word mistake. Past debt, past whatever. Now you can like do even more with it. So I was like thinking about like, do you remember in college when you would first go, especially if you went to a school that had a big sports program and then they had the credit card tent set up with like the free t-shirt and you always always discover (laughs) and you could get the sign up for the credit card and get the free shirt and no one really knew, but now you have like a different kind of magic money that you didn't really know about. Is that even still legal now? Like I have no idea. The, the predatoriness yeah. of credit card companies on college campuses. Like it's crazy. I have to I believe know. it still is. I have a question in my application. Like how long have you been feeling stuck? When did these challenges start for you? And I've had so many people say like, when I signed up for the credit card and got the free pizza, like first day <laughs> of freshman year. <laughs> I hear that. I hear that so much. I know. And we were never taught like how expensive credit cards are. I didn't really have that realization. You know, what does something really cost when you finance it over, no. over five years at 20% or whatever. Yeah, it's like really unfortunate. But we have the time to learn now. I always tell people like, okay, when's the best time to have learned about, because people always come to me and they're like, I'm, gosh, why didn't anyone tell me this when I was 18? Like I could be retired now. And I'm like, you know, the best time to learn about money is 10 years ago. But the second best time is today. <laughs> Yeah. So let's let's start now because there's still plenty of time to get yourself where you need to be and there's no use in wow. lamenting lamenting there's no use in res- I don't know what I'm trying to say. Stewing and stewing over, over past decisions. I don't, I have no regrets. I had so much fun in my twenties. I was in so much debt and I saw so much fish and I went to so many music festivals and I had so much fun and I'm fine now. A friend told me that they got their card in college and went on Dave Matthews tour and got like immediately to $10,000 debt. And and they're like, best decision of my life. Like no regrets. worked out for them so it's like well I don't know I guess okay I do want to talk about some of the obvious maybe not so obvious ways that food and money stories collide Mm. and I just wanted to share one while you kind of think about that but yeah a lot of times I see it where I don't know maybe a client is ordering DoorDash a lot so maybe they're not just overspending on food but now they're like overeating takeout which is not the best ingredients for you know an everyday way of eating or we see people who kind of are hesitant to invest in groceries like mm. they still do grocery store tours but I remember doing one in pre-pandemic times and pointing out like a sauce that was like a $9 sauce. And the client was like, ooh, that's expensive. But they had no hesitations about going to like a steakhouse on just like a Wednesday for dinner and blowing like $200 on dinner. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then the best part about this particular client, I – Oh, I loved this so much, was that at the end of the year, they contacted me because they had looked at their credit card statement. You know how it like tells you? Remember this, how, yeah. Yeah. So it'll be like, here's my grocery piece of the pie. You know, it's like a pie chart and tells you how much you spent for the year. And it was like yeah. the grocery pie chart was like 15%. And then going out to eat was like 67, 80%. It was like some really oh, high wow. amount. So he was like, I spent like $40,000 just on going out to eat. And like, I, I could have eaten that in half by buying expensive groceries. <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> um, oh my so, god. But that was his kind of aha moment of like, oh, I do go out to eat a lot. Right. It comes up for me so much. I can't tell you how many deep conversations I all sometimes I'll spend a whole hour with the client just talking with them about meal planning and about like cooking at home and because food is the biggest things we'll spend money on in our lives are like food, housing and taxes. And so if we can really attack, we can't really attack taxes that much. Housing, it depends. But food is really an area where there's a lot of you know, discretionary spending, we can be really mindful and really intentional. And that's a huge money saver. And also just, I find, I'm sure you find this with your clients, when you can find like balance and harmony and like when things feel good around what you're eating, usually that is reflected in the rest of your life. Like I find my clients that are ordering a lot of DoorDash and going out to eat, there's usually lack of balance in their life somewhere. They're working really late hours and they're coming home late and they feel like they're too tired to cook or there's something else in their life that's maybe causing them stress. And so they're wanting to go out to eat to provide entertainment and comfort. It's always something else. It's never really about the money or the food. I'm sure you, (laughs) I'm sure you know, but a lot of what I do is, you know, I work with clients to try and figure out like, what is that like point of resistance? Like, is it, I get home late from work and I'm tired and I don't have time to cook. And a lot of times we'll walk through, okay, well, how much time does it take you to order DoorDash, figure out where to order from, figure out what to order, actually order it, wait for it to get there. You know what I mean? Like that, you probably could have made something that's really simple within that time. And they're like, oh, okay, let's, let's figure that out. Right. And so I'll help them usually go through a process of like, for that example, a lazy meal. Like, can you have one or two lazy meals that are always in your fridge or freezer at all times? The lazy meal that actually changed my like financial trajectory. I was living in New York. I was working crazy hours. My husband and I were just ordering like sushi every night. Like, I don't know, I thought I was Beyonce or something. And it was becoming a major problem. I realized I was spending like $500 a month on just like sushi takeout. It was so stupid. Oh my gosh. And that was like the first thing that when I realized, okay, I have to start paying off my debt. I have to really make changes was changing these meals. And so there's a Trader Joe's near me and I started getting bags of frozen rice because if I didn't have time, I didn't know to make rice ahead of time. And like rice in my Mm -hmm. mind took too long. And then frozen broccoli and Trader Joe's chicken nuggets, the dromellas. And I Mm -hmm. would like put that in a bowl and put soy sauce on it and be like, great, this is my dinner. And then as I started doing that more, I started to realize like, oh, like this other lazy meal, like just whatever, pasta and salad or something easy. Okay, that's going to be now incorporated. And then over time, I started to incorporate all these lazy meals into my life to where, oh, like four five nights a week, I can cook at home pretty easily because it's all just there for me. It's part of my normal shopping routine. And it's like, it is quick. It is a 10 minute meal, but I have to get my clients like over the hump of, I don't like to cook. Cooking is hard. Cooking takes a long time. And I'm like, but cooking, cooking, you just be heating stuff up. I think like cooking in your mind became going and finding a recipe and buying all the ingredients and getting overwhelmed. I'm sure you hear this with your clients. Like cooking can be, I put this bag of broccoli or whatever in the microwave. (laughs) I 
saute some shrimp on the stove and I make rice and that's like a meal. So trying to get them over the hump of like, I can do this. It's not hard. It's not time consuming. And it's really crazy. More often than not, it'll be the one thing I start my calls off by asking people for their wins. And usually by my second or third call with people, their wins are starting to be, Hey, I cooked at home a couple nights this week. It wasn't that hard. It wasn't like, I can do this. And, you know, by the end, they've usually kicked their DoorDash habit, which is pretty cool. And that, I think when you kick a habit like that, the benefits compound over time. So, so much, you know, if you're saving like a a few hundred dollars a month, and then that even becomes like, you know, you could even double that because you're like, now you just don't even do DoorDash because it's just not even a part of your life anymore. And you put that over months, over years, what that could be invested. Like it's astronomical. What one tiny, like lazy meal can do to your financial situation. Yeah. It's like that concept of 1%. So, you know, I mentioned, I saw Mm. your Atomic Habits book and I have a love for that book as well. And so that is like very much like a concept of 1% change, how it can create such like a compound effect of positive net effect. So that's absolutely. Yeah. A lot of times I'll work with clients and like, what's your goal? So is your goal of going out to eat to like try a new restaurant and try some really, really delicious food, then hell yeah. Like go try delicious food, try to go with a lot of people so that you can try a bunch of different stuff, like try the whole menu, try a bite of everything. But if your goal is just to go spend time with friends, then maybe that's not the meal that you spend a lot of money on. Maybe you eat like food at home before you go. Maybe you just like eat an appetizer or maybe you eat like a full dinner. Maybe you just meet your friends for a drink. Just thinking about like, what's your goal? Because sometimes you do want to like ball out on a nice dinner and I'm not anti going out to eat, but um, I just try to have my clients create some awareness around like, why are they going out to eat? If it's just because they're feeling lazy, that goal could probably be achieved with, a lazy meal at home, right? Yeah. And we also see when people go out to eat, it's like this mindset of, ooh, I'm at a restaurant. This is special. But it's not special mm. if you're going five times a week. And so then they get right. in the habit of, oh, this is special. So I am going to get a cocktail or two and an appetizer and an entree and a dessert. And then they are like, why do I feel so bad? <laughs> so right. Exactly. It's like, well, this is just supposed to be a means to an end. It's Tuesday. Like it didn't really need to be the vacation dinner or whatever. So there's kind of right. this mentality when people go out to eat of like, I have to order the best thing on the menu. And it's like, well, there's other stuff on there too. So like, it doesn't have to always be the chicken fried steak or the cheese enchiladas, you know, that's her, um, changing your mindset about what the goal is. Like, what is the point for me? The timing was a huge one too. I'm just thinking of like, well, I'd have to get in my car, go somewhere. Even if I door dash too, it's like, well, that's still going to take an hour. And then it's like at yeah. $30 extra when I know this is like a $12 entree and I'm just like, no, I'm not doing it. I can make dinner. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, oftentimes I hear from my clients, food and the act of having a meal is entertainment. And so I try to like create some awareness there of like, okay, are you eating because you're hungry or are you eating because you're bored? I'm sure you experienced that with your clients. And so I'm like, if you're not sure, just eat something like eat some crackers from your pantry and then like reassess 
if you want to go out to eat or if you want to just make something at home, because sometimes like they're just come home from work and aren't even like, there's like, I need to eat food. And so therefore I need to go out to eat. And it's like, well, no, you can just like eat some food. It doesn't have to be a whole thing. It doesn't have to be an event. Just eat some food so that you're not going to die of starvation. And then bring yourself into your more rational mind to like decide what you really want to do, what you really want to spend your money on. Yeah. I'm a big believer of like, try not to make decisions when you're in any like heightened emotional state. Right. Or like, have low blood sugar. Is, yes. Right. <laughs> low blood sugar is not the place to yes. make That's the worst decisions. time to make a food decision. We're like, don't right. let your blood sugar get too low. I think of a spot where there are food and money are similar is that saving money and changing food habits are both seen as very hard. Like, Right. It's a very difficult thing to do. It's going to be painful. It's not going to be easy. And there's all this just like self frustration before ever getting yes. started. And I'm like, well, but it doesn't have to be that for either of them. Right. In my yeah. personal opinion. Like budget, like I hate the word budget. Budget lives in the same land as diet and they sound gross and like not anything I want to be a part of <laughs> and so restrictive and like I'm going to have to sacrifice everything fun. I always ask my clients when they first come to me, what's the thing they're most like nervous about or afraid of? And they always say that I'm going to have to give everything up. I'm not going to be able to like go out to eat or go to concerts or buy clothes or do anything fun ever again. And then usually I ask them at the end, what surprised you most about the program? And they were like, oh, that I like didn't really have to give anything up, that I could do everything. Because it's just a different way of thinking. Like I, I use the term spending plan instead of budget because spending plan is like, what am I planning to spend my money on? And when you think about it that way, you're not, I actually, I actually kind of hate the term saving money because I don't really believe you're saving money. You're spending money on future you, like whatever you want. Like I'm not saving money for retirement. I'm spending money on 70 year old Berkeley to go like live at Margaritaville or whatever. <laughs> like, you know, I'm not saving for a trip. Like I'm spending money. I'm taking the money that comes into my life and I'm spending it on this bucket for this like future trip because it just doesn't feel like I'm taking, when you're saving, it feels like you're taking away from something else rather than like everything's positive forward motion yeah. of money. I'm like spending I like that. on future stuff. Yeah. My brain is like, Ooh, that sounds great. Like loves the word spend. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Real good at it. Check. Yeah, well, so boring. Um, yeah. Saving yeah. is like, Ugh, I don't want to save. It's like, yeah. Has a, a, no, too. But, yeah, my, but it's the opposite for my husband. He's like, I love to save. I love to invest. It's like, like for him him. yeah for him the word spend would be like why do you need to spend money like I don't understand (laughs) and it's the same with like people that have partners that don't care about food at all and they're like but I love food I think about food I they feel like they eat too much food and then they have to restrict the food and then they have a partner that's like I don't think about food I eat the same three things you know wait that is like that's my like life story. So I grew I grew up, you said 90s diet culture. I grew up in the 90s diet culture home and like 
weight was talked about all the time. My parents were always off and on diets. It was like, they would call it like, it's, we're on a green light weekend. We can all eat whatever we want. And I just like grew up so messed up about food. And then once I started living with my husband, he could care less about food. He could eat a, a dry grilled chicken sandwich for every day of his life for lunch. Like that's all he cares. Like he, he does not care about food. He like basically eats to like not die. He always says he just wants, <laughs> when are they going to come out with protein pills so that like I don't even have to eat anymore. He just like hates even dealing with eating. Whereas I grew up like always thinking about what's my next meal, like and, and going on crazy diets and binging and purchase like everything. And yeah, once I started living with him, I started like living that way. I started to not care about food and it started to like not rule my life anymore. Mm -hmm. And it was so like, whoa, <laughs> like, whoa, I didn't even realize this like way of living existed, you know, yeah. and it's probably what drew me so much to once, once I had that same realization around money. I was like, mm. oh, wow, this is really powerful. Like that I want to teach other people this. When I realized that I could do that for myself around food, mm. it flipped something in my brain that said, oh, I can probably do something like that around myself around money. I didn't, I didn't draw that parallel that like <laughs> closely clearly. ever until yeah. maybe this moment. But I started to realize, oh, like it can be different, you know? Mm. Yeah. And that's interesting that you were open to that because what I hear in those food relationships, which would also be in money relationships, is that they continue to feel the shame by their partner not caring about food, but mm. their partner doesn't care what they do about food. They just don't want to hear about you talking about food anymore. It's right. <laughs> really <laughs> the only thing is like, I don't really care what you do. I just don't want to hear about it anymore. Right, but they right. then take on all this shame mm. about it. And they're like, why can't I just be like my partner in this way? And I think you could sub out the word money and food for that whole get up right there between a you know million, people in a household a million percent a million percent and I also feel like most of my clients feel like they're alone in their stress around money their constant thinking about it like they feel like every, it's easy for everyone else which is very much a false belief because <laughs> You know, I'm like, off, I, sometimes I work with friends that like, don't even know they're working with, they're both working with me until they mm. maybe I'm very confidential, but sometimes like one of them will tell each other in the end, they're like, Oh my God, like I would have never thought that person had money challenges. Mm. It's crazy. But again, like shame lives in the secrecy judgment world. And so we don't want to talk about it. But I think one of the most important things and why I feel so passionate about this business is talking about it is like the way through it releasing that shame and like actually taking action by like doing it with other people absolutely I'm still thinking about when you said green light weekend because I've never heard that term and that's mm. like so specific to like your experience and your family's yeah. beliefs around food and diet culture and all of that so that I find that so fascinating and I mean so I've heard uh, yeah it's like you're, you're what y'all termed I guess cheat weekend I guess it yeah green, that's so funny because that term is so like nostalgic to my whole childhood like 
Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy to me that someone else would have like never heard that, even though of course it's something my dad made up, but like, yeah. 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 So like, were there red light weekends where like you had to be really strict? I don't think so. I think it weekends was just, were green lights and weekdays were red lights or I yellow. Think, I, yeah, I think, I think so. I think so. And it was just like fried everything. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's that weekends. all or nothing. Mm-hmm. Oh, super, super all or nothing, which I see so much in money too. Like all or nothing thinking like I'm going to be so good this week and if I have one impulse purchase, well then fuck it. Like I'm screw this whole budget. Like I'll start again next month. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many parallels when, when I first yeah. met Jessica and I, like, I learned about what she did. I was like, or actually, I think I'd like followed you for a little bit. And then I kind of put two and two together that we had mutual friends and I emailed you and was like, our businesses are so similar. You could literally sub out food and money. We should talk. Yeah. 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 And that's why I was like so fascinated to go through your program too. Cause I was like, there's a lot of parallels where we're like, yeah, we want to know where are you right now with your body and food? Where do you want to be? It's like that before and after and it's all the same and they are intertwined. So I feel like some people get the aha moments in one area like you did and then it carries Mm -hmm. over to other areas or they need to work on them both or everybody's wired a little bit differently. So it's right. And it's, I find it really interesting with money and food it's everywhere. Like you can't really escape it. You have to spend money. You have to eat food. And so it's just different. Like than if you're trying to kick a heroin habit or something, but just like not be around it in in the same way, Mm -hmm. but like money and food, you're just around it all the time. And you're constantly being hit with triggers and also constantly being hit with like learning opportunities, you know? Well, it's also everybody else's stories about money and food that we take on, right? So it's not just what I believe about money and food. It's like what my family does. So even if I'm getting my head screwed on straight, which is what happens with clients, right? They're like, all right, I think I got this, but now I got to go do, you know, a family holiday. And it's like, good luck. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And so managing like all of those outward experiences that people have with just being in the world with their own insecurities and shame and guilt and how do they manage that yeah, it's, it's 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 work to be explored. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, a million percent. I'll spend like a week or two with my mom at a time. I'll be like re-triggered of like how screwed up she is with food, you know? And I'll mm-hmm. be like, "Okay, Berkeley, don't let this like seep back into your brain." And I hear it with her with money too. And I kind of watch her restrict and then go on a shopping trip and feel bad about it, but then do it again, you know, and I, I, I watch it all. And so, and I try to like, to your point, not be like re-affected by it. Oh yeah. I did want to touch base a little bit just on the health and wellness of it all and the toxic and damaging belief in perfect eating and how that goes with money and just the perfectionism mm. of it all. I think that's the opposite or it is in conjunction with the all or nothing thinking. Do you right. just want to touch base on that really quick before we go? Yes, I would say the major, vast majority of my clients are perfectionist, type A overachievers. Mm. <laughs> and I didn't really expect that when I started, but it makes perfect sense because money is this thing that they haven't been able to conquer in their life while they've been able to like be really successful at everything else. Mm. And so gotcha. that creates so much additional shame it creates so much avoidance because they're like, I'm really good at everything over here, but there's this thing I really kind of suck at over here. So I just don't even want to 
look at it or deal with it. And then Mm -hmm. over time, obviously that creates challenges and they kind of, you know, wake up five years later or 10 years later or whatever. And they're like, Oh my God, I really let this get out of hand. Mm -hmm. And so money is really erroneously believed to be black and white. Everyone thinks it's numbers. Like I hear people like I've I've always been bad at math, so I've never been good at money. And I'm like literally math and money. How do those? Yeah, absolutely nothing to do with each other. But I think just growing up, especially like as girls, I think a lot of times we grew up thinking like well, I'm just bad with numbers, or like I'm bad with I'm bad with money. We just like kind of believe that it's all related. But one thing I find that like I have to really work on with perfectionists, which I, I'm a recovering perfectionist. I'm always saying I'm like a type A trying to be type B more B every day. <laughs> I'm like a recovering type A. But I think with that like perfectionist black and white all or nothing thinking, I have to re- like retrain everyone to say money isn't black and white at all. It is like gray and glittery and rainbow and it's always fluid and it's always changing because we've been trained to say like, okay, this is your budget. Like this is your income minus your expenses is your money left over. And it's like, well, no, whoever has two months that are the same, whoever Mm -hmm. has like their, no one's life is static. And so what I teach people is to like create a spending plan for themselves. That's like really fluid. It's really like malleable. It can change by the day based on like what changes in your life, you know, like one of my dogs just got diagnosed with a health problem. And so now we have like this expensive medication and these vet visits and stuff that like, okay, I had to go into my spending plan and like adjust things in my daily living to like make up for the fact that I'm spending more money over here on this vet stuff. So it's Mm -hmm. all moving and it's all fluid and it's never perfect and it's never done. (laughs) And so, you know, with my perfectionist, I just have to show them like, it's not going to all fit into these nice, pretty little boxes. And we have to learn to like sit in that and like be okay with it and find a way to like enjoy the journey. Because if you're always like trying to do everything perfect to hit some certain goal, then like what happens when you make a mistake, right? Yeah. You make mistakes all the time. You're going to feel shitty about yourself. You're not going to feel motivated. And two, when you, once you hit your goal, then cool. Now what? Like, actually hate goals. I tried to train my clients not to even really think about goals. We kind of set some little light lamp posts, if you will, so that we have like a guide. But mm-hmm. I think goals can also be detrimental to that like all or nothing thinking. So yeah, so right. I really try to just teach my clients to like be in the flow and be kind of like okay in the chaos and the mess of it all a little bit because yeah. if you're okay with that, then you're going to be okay like forever. <laughs> it's like the main cause of suffering is the resistance of the chaos. And if you can just right. embrace it, it's really not so bad. Right, so. right, right. Exactly. Or it doesn't have to be chaos, but like the fluidity, like you said, the, mm-hmm. the unexpected twists and turns that we experience and becoming adjustable to those things. So. Right. Exactly. I know. I I always hear stories of my car made a weird noise and I got invited to this wedding and then I had to throw a bachelorette party. And then I'm like, well, yeah, that's just, that's stuff's going to keep happening. It's going to be replaced with other random stuff. So we have to like learn how to deal with the random stuff and then we'll be okay. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. So you have another round of Shaker Moneymaker coming up. I think it's June 13th. 
I do. I, I now have that song stuck in my head. It replaces <laughs> the other song that has been in my head. So that's good. Now I got okay. something new in there. So good. Good. So when I started business, I just want to have a group program called Shake Your Money Maker. I don't know anything about what I'm teaching people yet. It was like three years ago. I don't know anything yet, but I just like know that's that's what it is. So yeah, I just finished. Jessica was in my first round, which was so fun. And now moving into my second, and I've learned so much about teaching a group. And it's so just like inspiring, like to your point, to hear from other people that are going through exactly what you're going through, because it can feel like such an isolating journey. Like I'm the only one going through this. I'm the only one who doesn't know what they're doing. Like I'm whatever years old and I should know better by now. I hear that so much. And it's like, no, girl, it's fine. We good. Like we're going to, we're going to get through this together. So it's a 12 week program where we do everything from creating organization around like what's happening with your financial like situation currently creating a really specific plan for you to do whatever you want. You could be paying off debt. You could be getting yourself in a position where you have a fully funded emergency fund. You're starting to save for retirement, like wherever you are in that journey, learning how to have awareness around why you're spending the way you do, like why are, how are you wired? And so how do you actually like create change within that wiring? We learn tons of financial literacy stuff. So like how do credit scores work? Like how do 401ks and IRAs and investing and all that crap nobody taught us in school. And just a plan that like is sustainable that you can continue using for, I mean, I've been using the plan I created for like five years now. It's very sustainable and also malleable for your life, right? Like I teach you a system Mm -hmm. and then you can figure out how it can work for you because it's not about what I say. It's about like what feels right for your life. So yeah, we kick off June 13th. You can apply on moneygrooves.com slash apply. And I'm taking like, I take like eight to 10 people. So I say like, it's big enough for a party, but small enough for you to know everyone's name. And it's really transformative. I mean, Jessica, how do you feel afterwards? I'll put you on the spot. I'm on the spot. I feel in mind. <laughs> I do feel like my scarcity mindset has shifted a lot. I think because mm-hmm. the system makes it so tangible. Like I wish mm-hmm. that we could make the food this tangible without it being mm-hmm. too controlling. <laughs> because right, right, right. I think that's like this is kind of what people wish they could do with food mm-hmm. is to have this like database and like the way that you can you know move things around and yeah, it answers a lot of questions and makes it really easy to manage and makes me feel also safe where it's like oh yeah, like that yearly bill instead of waiting for the last month and praying for magic money to cover it. It's like, no, (laughs) I can start spending on future me now and I'm not going to be stressed out in January when I have to pay my property taxes or whatever. Yes. 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 Ooh, this property taxes. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. This was so fun. This was so fun. Thank I could like talk about this for. I know. I'm going to think of like 10 questions I wished I had asked while you were here, but uh, maybe we'll have you back. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, thanks for having me. All this right. was so fun. And thank you. Thank you. I sure hope we gave you something new to think about today and helped you take one more step on your path to freeing yourself from diet culture. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Instagram at path underscore nutrition. We'd love to see you inside our interactive course called foundations. So go to pathnutrition.com backslash foundations to learn more and sign up today. So sign up for all the things. 
yeah. money maker, money grooves, foundations, and you will be kicking ass. Yes. <laughs> okay. Let's kick some ass. All right. Bye, Bye. everyone.